Have you guys ever seen the like the infomercials or the baking shows where um, these are always so fun to me? The the like baking shows and infomercials where they you know they they prepare this this food on a big pan and then uh, they're like and now watch what happens when we put it in the oven. They like stick it in and then it does like the bring like the bling sound effects and it does the like uh, the splash on the page and then they like immediately pull out a perfectly prepared like beautiful amazing meal and they're like let's try it um i think those are really funny because it's like it's like it's a magic trick um and what it makes you think is that you can just prepare something and just set all this stuff up and then stick it in the right place and then you just pull it right back out and it's done and it's completely done um that that like makes us think that it's this immediate result uh that it's this immediate finished product and i think that we actually want our whole life to be like that. Uh, we want to like do that baking show thing where we just put everything in the right place, do the right thing, put it in the oven, five seconds later, there it is, and it's perfect. Uh, if you don't believe me, here's a, couple, here's a couple examples of how we try and like expedite this process. We like try and fast track this process. Um, we try and expedite and fast track our way to a perfect body. We do this in a lot of ways, but a couple uh, eating disorders and exercise fads. We try and expedite learning process. We try and expedite just taking in all this knowledge. The way that we try and do that is through cramming for six hours, eight hours, 12 hours for an exam the night before it happens. Uh, we try and expedite the, uh, the process of becoming more intimate and becoming closer with someone. We try and do that through hookups, through pornography, so many other different things. We, we want to fast track this product or the, this process and get to this product. Um, and the Christian life is no different. We try and fast track this process of becoming more like Christ. So we think that, uh, that if we do all the right things, we can kind of avoid the suffering process. We can like expedite, skip the like cooking for six hours and 400 degree process, and that we can just have it be done. Um, here's some of the things we try and do if we do the right things to avoid suffering. Uh, we think if we go to church, sometimes. Uh, if we try not to drink too much, sometimes. If we try not to hook up with people and watch porn, sometimes, right? If we don't go too far with each other, then we can expedite this process, and all of a sudden, we're going to be a finished product. We're, we're made like Christ, and it's just perfect. We can do whatever we want for the rest of our lives. Like, we're there, we've made it. Uh, we expect the, or the, I almost said the cooking life. We expect the Christian life to be like the cooking show. We expect the cooking life to be like the Christian show. What if? Um, we expect the Christian life to be like this cooking show where we can, we can skip the whole heat, we can skip the, the waiting, we can skip the suffering, right? Um, and in tonight's passage from First Peter that we're going to look at, that's actually the, the exact thing, the, the thought process that Peter's confronting. Um, and what he does is he actually tells us this. I'm going to go ahead and give you a little sneak peek into this passage. He tells us that God has actually designed the Christian life to work. Uh, the, the way that he's designed it to work, the way that we grow, is through consistent, faithful obedience to the command of Christ to die to ourselves every day. That was a long sentence. Here it is again. God designed the Christian life to work in such a way that we grow through consistent and faithful obedience to Christ's command 
to die to ourselves every day, right? And dying to ourselves hurts a lot. Dying to ourselves means suffering, right? And I'm going to go ahead and define the, the suffering that Peter's talking about here because I don't want us to get uh, confused. Um, the, the suffering that Peter's talking about is specifically to Christians, right? He's writing to Christian exiles in Asia Minor. It's Christians who are purposefully living like Christ has called them, even though they know it's going to be detrimental to themselves, right? Uh, so I thought of a couple, like, funny examples. Simple terms would be, like, uh, the Christian who's helping carry their injured opponent, like their enemy, off the court or off the field, and then, like, they turn to ask, like, hey, man, you going to be okay? And while they do that, they, like, roll their ankle and just collapse. Like, that's the kind of suffering that he's talking about. Like, intentionally doing something that you know is going to hurt you. Uh, it, he's talking about the Christian who, this one might strike a little too close to home for some of y'all. The Christian who uh, is doing the dishes for the fifth time that week because they're garbage roommates who never do the dishes, right? Um, and, and then they're, they're doing the dishes, and uh, I heard some chuckles. Doing the dishes fifth time that week, their roommate comes by, and what they do is they, bloop, they drop the bowl in the, in the sink, and then they walk away. And you're just like, are you kidding me? right? That's the suffering that he's talking about. It's that moment, and you're just like, wow, that's infuriating. But you are choosing, you're purposefully living the Christian life, even though you know it's going to be hurtful and frustrating to yourself. That's the kind of thing that he's talking about. Um, and a couple of things that he says about suffering, well, he says a lot about suffering in here, this type of suffering, but two things that we're going to pick out specifically tonight. Um, number one, that this kind of suffering, uh, it's intentional. And number two, this suffering is beneficial. So let's see if we can glean that from this text right here. Uh, this is 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you, have sh- as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, What will become for the outsiders, for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Uh, Pray with me. Father, we pray that you would help us to feed on your word, uh, that it would be life-giving, that it would be restoring to us that we would understand what you would uh, have us learn and and get from this text and apply it to our hearts in a gentle way, Lord. Convict us where we need conviction and uh, and cause us to live for you more uh, and and cause us to love others better. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Um, All right, so number one, suffering is intentional. Uh, You guys probably know, when I was an undergrad here, I was a cheerleader for two years, in my first two years. Uh, Woo, yay, woo. Um, One aspect of the cheerleading team, like a a pretty 
crucial aspect were the workouts that we did as a team, right? And uh, workouts, they were always hard. They were so early in the morning, they were always hard. And uh, sometimes I would go in and I'd be like, man, this is so hard. Like, why is this weight so heavy? Not that I was lifting a lot. It was just heavy to me. Um, And then I kind of remembered like, oh, yeah, this program is literally created. It's intentionally created to make me stronger by working me out really hard, right? Uh, And for some reason, I was always surprised that they were trying to make me stronger. Like, I was always surprised that working out was supposed to be hard, By definition, it's supposed to be hard, right? Um, It's a normal thing, uh, and and it was intentional, right? And the same thing happens with suffering here. This is what Peter's saying. God intentionally made it so that suffering makes us stronger. Um, That's his design. That was what it was created for. Supposed to make us more like Christ. There are two specific words uh, just in verse 12, the first one that we see. It can help us understand that. Verse 12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fire trial when it comes upon you to test you as if something strange were happening to you. So he uses these words, when it comes upon you, and in order to test you. In other words, what he's saying is, this is going to happen, and it's, it's happening for an express purpose. It's happening for a reason. It's going to happen, and it's normal. He says, don't be surprised as if something strange were happening. It's like, it's not strange, it's normal. Your suffering is normal. Uh, All Christians will suffer in some way for the sake of Christ, for the sake of defending the faith. But, alas, just because, yeah, I said alas, alas, just because it's part of the design, just because he says it in this text, doesn't mean that all of a sudden it's like magically easy and we can do it, right? Uh, So what are some of the obstacles to embracing this idea of suffering? Um, I want to kind of hone in on one obstacle that I think is actually really interesting. Uh, An obstacle to us obeying in this way and suffering in this way right now in our day is this idea of authenticity. We're told by the whole world, we're told that like the only thing we should ever do is exactly what we want to do all the time. And that if we let anyone else tell you how to live our life, like that's wrong. Everything tells us, like, be authentic, be genuine, be independent. And in response, what happens is that we're, we're actually convinced that if we aren't, like, authentic in the way that we obey Christ, if we aren't authentic in our Christian living, if we're not genuine enough, then it doesn't, like, count, quote-unquote, towards our sanctification. Um, that only if it's will can and will God use it to change you or others. Uh, that's kind of like saying that only if I like genuinely uh, desire, have this like deep, genuine desire to eat spinach, will it actually be healthy for me when I eat spinach? Um, that's silly. This system works. Like my uh, digestive system is still going to work in the exact same way, even if I don't fully understand and comprehend every little intricacy of how it works. Peter tells us that the system of growth and becoming like Christ is through our suffering for the sake of the gospel. Again, it's intentional. It's part of the design. It's part of the fabric. Um, God actually intentionally uses this voluntary suffering in order to make us more like Jesus. And uh, that's the first thing that we see here in this passage. Uh, The second thing we see is that it's beneficial. We've talked a ton this semester about 
how our righteous living, how our uh, good conduct in Christ is beneficial for the world. Tonight we're going to talk about how suffering in this way is actually beneficial for us. Um, Our suffering as Christians, in other words, does have a purpose and it is good for us. Verse 13 says that we, uh, we should rejoice. Where is it? Here it is. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So what is that saying? Uh, think about like fairweather fans, right? If you are a fairweather, uh, fair I'm a fairweather fan. No, if you're a fairweather, I'm a British fairweather fan. If you're a fairweather fan of Georgia football and you like don't associate yourself with UGA football when we're not doing well and when we lose, then you don't really have any right, any claim to associate yourself with Georgia football when we win, right? When they're good and when they're victorious. Uh, Whereas if you are a diehard Georgia football fan, which I hope and pray that many of you are, if you are a diehard Georgia football fan, uh, even, even when we lose, even when we mess up, even when we're not doing well, then you actually have a more personal, like an intimate, this deep sense of satisfaction and glory when Georgia does well. Because you were with them in the bad moments. You were with them in the losses. You can be with them in the victories as well. That's kind of what, uh, what Peter's saying here. We rejoice in his... Sh- wow, man, the letters are all messing me up now. We rejoice in his suffering uh, because that way we, we also get to rejoice in his glory when it's revealed. Um, what this says is if we are united in Christ's humiliation and death, uh, we'll also be united in his glory. And that's the benefit. This is why this is beneficial to us. And not only is it beneficial, but it's actually a cause for us to rejoice. Like, this is good news. Uh, C.H. Spurgeon has a quote where he says, Those who dive in the deepest sea of affliction bring up the rarest pearls. I thought that was really good. In other words, those who are brought to the lowest of lows will also be raised to the highest of highs. Not only does Peter say that, in verse 14, he actually kind of like ups the ante. He doesn't just say like, rejoice, yay. He says, if you are insulted, you're blessed. He like, he goes in on that. If you are insulted, you're blessed. Um, So what this means right now to us, if we get called lame by our friends, Um, Or if we get, like, weird looks and eye rolls when we don't laugh at our friends' racist and sexist and inappropriate jokes. When they look at us like we're weird, like we're some kind of alien because we're not laughing at their inappropriate jokes. uh, That actually means that we're doing something right. If the world thinks that we're weird, the reason is because we're not living like them. And praise the Lord for that, because that is confirmation that, uh, that we are united with Christ. Now, if you hear that and you think to yourself, Joel, that is literally my nightmare. Uh, for all of my friends to think that I'm weirdos and that, that I like, am a prude and that I'm just this like, standoffish Christian, that's my nightmare. Um, let me ask you a question. What kind of friend, what type of friend, what type of person do you want to be seen as? What kind of person do you want to be in other people's eyes? Um, in 15 years, when all the people in this room like hear your name, or your roommates, or your people in your hallway in the dorm, when they hear your name, what do you want them to remember? 
Well, what do you want to be remembered for? Guys, specifically the guys right now, um, here's a would you rather that Chip probably won't ask. Would you rather be remembered uh, as only that good-looking guy who spent all of his time at the gym or that guy that spent all of his time in the library and had good grades? Uh, The one who had the line of girls, of these pretty girls waiting to be swept off their feet by him? Uh, The guy who could manipulate any relationship and get exactly what he wanted from the person because he always knew what to say? Or the guy that could always uh, make the crowd laugh. He could always like hit that trigger point and make the crowd laugh by being slightly overboard, like slightly inappropriate. Is that what we want to be remembered by? Or do we want to be remembered as uh, the man who was always encouraging, always helping, and always befriending the clearly the lamest person in the room everywhere he went? Um the man who cared more about the emotional, physical, and spiritual needs of his friends and the well-being of his friends rather than of himself, the man who was kind and gentle and loving to people that were super radically different than him, different ideology, different race, different religion, just completely different. Which one of those do we want to be remembered by? To the girls in the room, same question. 15 years from now, when you're looking through your, uh, your photo albums and that sort of thing, I don't know what we're going to do in 15 years, uh, what do you want people to remember you by when they see a picture of you that you took in college? Do you want to be remembered only as uh, the girl who was always the prettiest in her small group? Um, the girl that always had the best style, always the best dressed, the girl that was always the like most bold and independent and daring? Or do you want to be remembered as the one who was so confident in the love of God for her, the love of her father for her, that you didn't have to dress to try and get people's attention? Uh, the girl that was so comfortable with the God that made you to be the person that you are, that you didn't need to pretend to have the same interests and the same cares and the same concerns is that other group of girls that you desperately wanted to fit in with, right? You were just so confident that you didn't need to pretend you could be yourself. Which one do we want to be remembered by? If we, uh, if we are pursuing what I'm assuming, kind of this is like a, uh, a rhetorical question, I think we all know how we want to be remembered. If we're going to pursue that, that's going to mean suffering for us, right? We don't become the person that we are in Christ just by trying to fit in and be comfortable and, like, fit whatever mold the world has us or has for us. Uh, Again, guys, this is going to require you to be real men and respect women, to lead in humility, to lead in purity, to love the outcasts, the weirdos, especially when your friends don't do that. Girls is going to require you to be the real strong women and exercise self-control in regards to gossiping and in regards to our desire for attention, our desire to be noticed. Again, especially when your friends aren't that way. And if you do this, it's, it's going to feel like you're dying. Like, it's going to feel like you're being left out, you're being 
insulted. Your, people are going to be talking behind your back. It's going to feel like you have a target on your back and that every time you turn around, they're like, meh. Like, that person is the worst. And that's the noise they'll make. Meh. Parks and Rec um, have to have some sort of a TV show reference, right? You can check that one off. Parks and Rec, uh, Tom Haverford, great character. He is giving Mark Brandanowitz uh, relationship advice at one point. And Mark's like, I don't know why I'm asking you, but what should I do about this girl? And Mark's like, dude, I'll tell you what. Take the high road. Like, girls love it when you take the high road. And then aside to the camera, he, he's like, I always tell other people to take the high road because that means there's more room for me on the low road. Um, and I think that what we're afraid of, we're afraid of taking the high road because we know that someone else is going to try and swoop in and take the low road and knock us out of our place, knock us off our pedestal, knock us off of our, uh, our standing, right? First Peter, again, actually says to rejoice when that happens. Uh, he says that we're blessed when we get insulted. Says that when we suffer... We, we rejoice because that means that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of glory and of God is within us. Christians, because we have been united to Christ, because the Spirit of God is within us, we are fundamentally new people. Uh, the fiery trials, excuse me, that Peter talks about are the things that actually refine us and, and renew us and they reveal the real person, the real new creation that we are in Christ. Um, everyone knows, this is just a classic analogy, everyone knows like the process of how a diamond is formed, right? It starts out as a lump of coal, this little lump of coal, and then a ton of pressure and a ton of heat, and then you harvest it, you cut it, and you clean it, and then all of a sudden it becomes this beautiful thing that you see in rings and necklaces and earrings, gold chains or something. Um, it, it's kind of like that with the Christian life. Under pressure, under, under extreme pressure and heat, after cutting, after cleansing, uh, it reveals the beautiful, joyful creation that we are actually made to be in Christ. And again, the world is not going to like that. Suffering is essential and it's beneficial. Let's put it right here. It's beneficial to the Christian life is what Peter's saying. Um, for you engineers in the room, or soon-to-be engineers in the room, suffering is actually a load-bearing pillar. It's, it's like a load-bearing wall of the Christian faith. If you remove suffering from the Christian life, um, the roof falls in, the whole structure crumbles, and it falls apart. It's important. It's intentional. It's beneficial. Another reason why suffering is beneficial and the biggest reason why suffering is beneficial is because it forces humility and it forces dependence on a holy God. It forces us to be reliant on God. This whole thing is fundamentally about the goodness and the beauty and the glory of God. God is so good that he actually wants you to have no other hope, no other stronghold, no other foundation than himself. He wants you to not be able to trust anything else. He wants you to trust him, to have no other reason but to trust him. Where do we see that in this text? Uh, the very last verse, verse 19. 
says that the one who suffers according to the will of God should entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This means that ultimately we are going to have to trust that this text, that all this stuff is true tonight for us. God is the one who created this system. He formed this system. He made this process the way that it is. And he wants us to entrust our souls to him, to trust him in that. There's, a, uh, there's an old athlete you guys may have heard of. His name is Michael Jordan. Um, and uh, I was expecting more laughs, but no, nothing. Ha, ha, ha. So Michael Jordan, I wasn't old enough to, to watch him in like his prime. But I was talking to this guy the other day. Uh, I got some chuckles back there. I was talking to this guy the other day, this older guy, and I was like, what made, what made MJ so good? Like, was he really that good? And this dude said that the reason Michael Jordan was so good is because um, he said no matter what the score of the game was, no matter how much time was left in the game, no matter what the conditions were, uh, he said he, Michael Jordan would just get it in his head. He's like, all right, I'm not going to lose this game. Like, I'm just not going to lose this game. And if he wanted to win, he would. So the team's strategy was just, hey, give the ball to Jordan, let him do the rest, right? MJ, MJ, yeah, we're on a nickname basis. MJ was the go-to guy, right? The whole strategy was like, trust, trust Michael Jordan, give him the ball, and trust the game, and trust the, the future of the game to Michael Jordan. He'll get us there. Because he, he proved himself over and over again. And the wise thing to do is to put our trust in the people who've proven themselves over and over and over again. Um, so why do we entrust our happiness to what our, uh, what our relationships are like? Why do we entrust our comfort to what our physical bodies look like? Why do we entrust our security and what our grades are and what internship we have in this summer? Uh, that's like trusting, like putting all your trust on me to win a game of one-on-one against Michael Jordan in his prime. Like it's just, it's not going to happen. It's not going to turn out well. We put our trust on the, on the ones who have proven themselves. And guys, if we want to grow in comfort, in security, in joy, in patience, in peace and in humility... We entrust all of those things to the one who has proven himself. Like Ben said, uh, we're in the middle of what's called Holy Week. And uh, we're smack dab in the middle. Sunday was Palm Sunday. It's the triumphal entry. Jesus comes in on a donkey. Tomorrow is a day that's known as Maundy Thursday. And uh, John 13 recounts this interaction where it's the Last Supper. And what, what actually happens is Jesus... Uh, willingly washes the feet of the disciples who deny him, who doubt him, who betray him. And John 13 says, having loved, having loved his own from the beginning, he loved them, or having loved his own who were in the world from the beginning, he loved them to the end. Jesus willingly washes the feet. He willingly serves the people that he knows. He tells them, you're about to deny me. You're about to doubt me. You're about to betray me. And he willingly serves them and loves them anyways. Later that night, uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, you've probably heard this, Jesus 
is pleading with his heavenly father. He says, uh, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Right? He's so, this is such an intense uh, emotion that he's having. That he is weeping and he has sweat. That, that is, he's bleeding sweat. So his sweat turns to blood. His tears turn to blood. Jesus, what he does in this passage, he says, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus entrusts his soul. Jesus entrusts his own soul to his Father, even when he knows that means suffering and death and rejection. The next day, uh, Good Friday, that Ben was talking about, Jesus goes on and he descends to the lowest of low after being questioned, after being beaten. He suffers rejection, humiliation, abuse, and ultimately crucifixion. And do we know why he does it? It's back in that passage in 13. Because he loved those that were in the world. He does it because he loves the very people who reject him and who deny him and who betray him and who have him crucified. Guys, God has not just commanded us to sacrificially die to ourselves and to give our energy to others um, for the sake of other people. He doesn't just command that and say, all right, now, like, good luck. And he doesn't just do it and be like, but that's only for you. God himself actually comes to earth and sacrificially gives himself for us, for those that he loves. He comes and he models and he proves that this system, this system works. That suffering and death leads to life and renewal. God came as a Jewish man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he submitted his life to save people who gossiped, who slandered him, who rejected him, who denied him, who betrayed him, who crucified him. But, you know, if that's where he stopped, if it stopped at the crucifixion, if it stopped at his death, then he wouldn't have actually proven himself, right? He wouldn't have proven himself victorious. Three days later, after the crucifixion, the day that we all know is Easter Sunday, which is this upcoming Sunday, uh, Jesus defeats this power. He defeats this suffering. He defeats this rejection. He defeats death. And he rises from the grave to be the king of all kings. He's the king. He's God over suffering. And he rises from the dead. Um, to put it in modern language, Jesus is the goat, which is going to be a really weird thing if you go back and listen to this in like five years, which I know all of you will. It's going to be a really weird thing to hear that and be like, what does that mean? Because it's going to die in a couple years. But Jesus is the goat, right? He is the greatest of all time. Not only that, he's the God of all time. He's the God of all material. He's the God of all nations, all races, all religions. He's the God of all ideologies. He's the God of our emotions. He's the God over suffering. Jesus has proven that he uses suffering to bring life. Who else do we want to entrust our souls to? Who else has proven themselves? Who else has earned our trust besides Jesus? Guys, at some point, uh, each of us in this room, if we haven't already, at some point, we're going to have to decide, uh, is this really true? We're going to have to move past this like intellectual, like, oh, cool, learning about Jesus. 
uh, we're going to have to move past that and decide, do we really believe that this is true? Uh, Do we really think that living like Christ, that this vision, this vision of, uh, of suffering, bringing life, that this vision of a glorious God, do we really think that that's going to be better than selfish living moment by moment that the world tells us that's going to make you happy? We're going to have to decide if it's true or not. If the answer is yes, that's going to change the way that we live. Uh, If the Holy Spirit changes us and indwells us, and if He's inside us, we are fundamentally new people. We must die to ourselves. We're going to have to die every day to be raised as a new creation. I'm going to close with a uh, a C.S. Lewis quote that should be up on the screen. It's from Mere Christianity. It says, Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life, and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and your favorite wishes every day, and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being, and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will ever be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. If dying to ourselves brings about new life, why do we not choose to die to ourselves every day? How do we do this? Again, we submit, we entrust our souls to our faithful creator. We trust that this process this whole system that God has set up, that it works. We entrust our souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news that you have given us in your word. We thank you for the truth that is true, whether or not we acknowledge it as true, Lord. If everything were subjective, if everything were up to us, uh, then this life would be hopeless. Father, I do pray that uh, this, this idea of suffering for the sake of others, suffering so that we can be made more like Christ, because that is a beautiful, more glorious vision, a beautiful, more glorious picture. Pray that that would sink into our hearts tonight, Lord. Start with me. Help that to sink into my heart, Lord. Give me a passion to serve others, to suffer for the sake of others. Give me a willingness to be rejected, mocked, insulted. Father, change our hearts tonight. If, if this has sparked anything uh, within our hearts, Lord, help us to continue to read, to continue to pray, to continue to Seek out the truth about who Jesus of Nazareth is, Lord. We thank you for coming as a man and for dying for the ones that you love so that we might live with you forever. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.